reported. Conservative talk without apology. The regular Joe show with Joe Giganti. Weekday evenings at nine on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. It's time for Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Good Wednesday morning. You're to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Bakken along with, uh, well, not Jason Spies this morning. Usually Jason joins me, but uh, he's out traveling right now. And uh, we are broadcasting from Epic. Uh, the Energy Progress Innovation Conference put on by BSC and uh, uh, in conjunction with a lot of great sponsors, a lot of great partners. Uh, Matthew Lund joining us uh, from MDU. And uh, you, Matthew, had your roots at BSC. You started out with uh, Bismarck State College, now North Dakota's Polytechnic. Uh, and then you are an engineer. You finished up your education at NDSU and uh, came back home. And um, you're also a committee member on uh, the Epic Conference. Uh, tell us a little bit about that because I've watched this morph a little bit over the years, and this is a conference because of where we sit, because of the the footprint that BSC has uh, in energy, in innovation. Um, this is a conference that just continues to grow. Yeah, we uh, we were originally the Energy Generation Conference, and in the last couple of years, we changed that. Um, changed our name to the Energy Progress Innovation Conference, and, and it was just to expand really what we, um, I guess, the group of people we were trying to involve in this conference um, in providing more than just generation, uh, include transmission, um, distribution, uh, the fuel supply, um, trying to pull in uh, more more groups within the conference rather than just generation. So. So when you're looking at the, the different avenues of energy, um, because there is the generation side, there's the innovation side. Uh, you know, lay that out for the listeners, you know, the different aspects, because we've got kind of an all of the above here, and BSC taps into a lot of that, whether you're looking for line workers or you're looking for somebody to work at one of the power plants, or one of the coal operations, um, wind. Um, BSC covers it all. Yeah, BSC's programs are exceptional. Um, we've got, uh, I'm not sure uh, how many folks um, we pull for as far as wind technicians, um, power plants, maintenance, INC, um, uh, essentially all the programs, uh, technical programs that BSC offers. Um, we've hired people from every single, um, I guess, avenue that, that BSC offers. So it's a, a great program. BSC is an exceptional partner. Um, in this conference, they provide us with so much support. We, we couldn't run this thing without Bismarck State. Um, and as a uh, Bismarck State alumni, um, I, that's still my college. I went to North Dakota State, but, but BSD is still That's home, college. right? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. My home. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so... We talked a little bit about the the conference and how that's changed and, and kind of got a relaunch or a rebranding as energy has, has grown. Um, you as an alumni with BSC, uh, with Bismarck State College, um, talk a little bit about how you've seen the change, because we're going through a big change right now with the new mission of Bismarck State College becoming North Dakota's Polytechnic. So when you're... Uh, looking at that from a, an alumni how do you see that playing into some of the industries because you work in the energy industry you work with mdu so um how do you see that setting up the future for the kids in north dakota that attend bsc and supplying what's needed within industry that is here in north dakota 
Yeah, maybe I'll speak to to MDU. We've we've morphed as far as our generation um, over the last twenty years, and in, in really diversifying our portfolio. Um, you know, adding adding renewables, um, a, a lot of renewables, and uh, you know, with Bismarck State offering um, students with uh, training to to provide support to our wind farms, for example. Um, that really helps us in pulling local talent, keeping people in North Dakota. That's one of the harder things to do is if you take individuals from other states, um, usually they want to go back home. So we have a source in Bismarck at Bismarck State of individuals that get a job with MDU and and then stick around, um, stay in that job. So the opportunities are here. So, you know, we talk about workforce all the time. Um, what are you seeing with MDU? Um, does, and you're an engineer, so that program has to kind of outsource a little bit. Great start for the program. Um, your pathway going to uh, BSC before going to NDSU and finishing up your degree. But um, those jobs are here. The training to a, a great extent are here. Um, what would you tell somebody that's looking at getting into the industry, uh, energy industry in any aspect that is in the Bismarck-Mandan area or in North Dakota in general? Uh, from a job perspective, what's out there? Yeah, the jobs are here. And I think, uh, you know, as uh, as kids in high school, I, I think there's this thought that you need to get away from home, you know, when you go for college. Um, I think you... You well, you had the best of both worlds. What? So, you know, as a Bismarck, Bismarck native, I, I was I was able to, uh, you know, stay at home. I, uh, my mom convinced me to save some money and go to Bismarck State, and it was the best college decision that I made. Um, BSC offered an exceptional program with small classes. It was, it was great. Um, and then the opportunities um, once once I was done and finished my the remaining portion of my degree and come back, um, I had multiple um, job offers coming out of college. And Bismarck was a great place for me. So, um, yeah, I've come full circle. It's the opportunities are here, and the program is here with BSC. So, if you want a great paying job um, with reasonable hours and good companies, you know, companies that have been around for a lot of, long time, a lot of years, uh, you know, going into these technical programs is a great avenue um, for people's future. We're talking with Matthew Lund uh, with MDU, uh, BSC alumni, NDSU alumni, and uh, came right back here. I want to talk to him a little bit about uh, his work experience with NDSU or with uh, MDU when we come back from the break. Also, um, a big project that he's been working on as well with MDU right in our backyard. Uh, this is Talk of the Town. I'm Steve Bakken. Uh, we're broadcasting from the Epic Conference, Energy Progress and Innovation at the Bismarck Event Center. This is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Talk of the Town, brought to you by Big Boy. Just get in line. It moves fast. Dakota Pharmacy and Dakota Natural Health Center. We're here to help you stay well. Trademark Realty, Peak Automotive and Service, and Silver Ranch. Super Talk. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. You're tuned to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Bakken on a Wattage Wednesday, broadcasting from Epic, the Energy Progress and Innovation Conference. Uh, uh, 
big event when you start talking about uh, the different aspects of energy and how that plays into North Dakota. And, and from a, a national perspective as well, uh, we're talking with Matthew Lund uh, with MDU. He's also on the EPIC committee and uh, former BSE uh, alumni, NDSU graduate uh, in engineering. Um, Matthew, I wanted to spend a couple minutes just talking a little bit about something that you know maybe some people have a lot of questions about right here in our own backyard is Heskett Station. So um, that was a project that was more of a reinvention. A lot of people had the perception that, well, they're just tearing down this power generation facility, but uh, that's really not what the case was. It was kind of a reinvention of the power generation facility. Yeah, well, specifically, we, we tore down the two coal-fired units. Um, I think Heskett 1 was built in 1954, and Heskett 2 was built in 1959, roughly. Definitely so, got the life out of them. Yeah, I mean, uh, it definitely exceeded the life expectancy of the plants. Those, those plants ran exceptionally well. Um, however, when, when you look at, say, converting to natural gas-fired, um, you know, converting a boiler over from coal to natural gas isn't actually the most efficient way to operate on natural gas. So what we did um, and was actually tore those down and installed a new uh, simple cycle combustion turbine. The heat rates on those uh, is significantly better than a coal-fired unit running on that's converted over to natural gas. And so um, it's uh, a capacity resource, so we use it when it's really cold or really hot out. Um, it's the sister unit to Heskett 3 that was built and commissioned in 2014. So it's, it, it, for terminology for people, it's peaking unit. That's correct, yep. Yeah, both both units are peaking units. So, what does that mean from a, a grid perspective? Um, walk us through what a peaking unit does and the intent for that, because um, you know you mentioned the the efficiency that's involved with not doing a conversion and just actually doing the investment and doing a, a ground up build. Um, the rationale behind the peaking is to offset some of the wind energy and some of the other. Uh, non-traditional energy sources that we have, you need those because when it's 35 below, um, wind turbines aren't turbine. But that's why you need the peaking stations. Yeah, I'm the, and then we actually saw that here um, recently with the cold spell. We, the wind turbines have a certain temperature that they get to. If it's negative 20-some degrees, um, they do have to shut down. Uh, so, you know, one of the reasons why the the uh, coal units were tore down is, is just the operating costs on coal were higher than what we can purchase from the market at, uh, power from the market. And so what MDU is required to do, we have to meet a certain capacity um, uh, generation um, for our overall portfolio. And we're part of uh, MISO, mm-hmm. which is, uh, um, you know, the transmission operator. So anyway, with MISO, we're able to purchase power um, from the entire MISO. And that uh, has been, for the number of years, been cheaper to purchase out the market than operate in those coal units. So we still need to cover our capacity and make sure we have enough power for our customers during the hot, hot days and the cold days or if there's transmission con- uh, congestion or another power unit goes down for some reason. Um, we, may have, we need to make sure we have enough power to, to supply our customers, and we do that with these peaking units. Well, and the investment into the efficiencies, too. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, why this project's so important because we see... Um, how the the coal industry has been maneuvered around. And as a utility, MDU's main focus is how do you provide cheap, efficient power at a rate that people can afford because you're a utility. So you're there to make money, but it's also you have to do it efficiently and affordably. 
yeah, we're a regulated utility. So if we build anything, we have to go to the Public Service Commission. Usually before we build it, we, we uh, go in. How is this going to benefit the customers? Advanced determination of prudence. Um, we, we tell them what we plan. Here's all the options we look at. We do that through our integrated resource plan where we model um, new generation based on our load forecasts. Um, once we do additional analysis, we go to the Public Service Commission and say, hey, this is what we, we plan to build based on the analysis that we performed and what we expect for load growth. And then from there, the Public Service will, will tell us, um, hey, yeah, I think this is likely the least cost resource, most reliable and least cost resource for your customers. And we agree that when you're done, um, you're more than likely to come back in and, and we'll agree to some sort of capital um, reimbursement. I, it's not the right terminology, but you'll be able to earn on the, the, the capital investment. Yeah, so basically you're getting rewarded for doing good by your consumers. Yeah, yeah I think it was something around, um, I think, $20 million or something that was in savings and building Heskett 4 and taking down Heskett Unit 1 and 2 coal facilities. So this is your baby as far as uh, being fully online. I know this is a project that uh, when you're working with new builds and, and new innovation and new technology, uh, take a little longer than planned sometimes. But uh, where's the project at as far as um, coming to completion? Because that's going to be a huge benefit to consumers. Yeah, we are still working on commissioning and startup um, you know, the technology that we installed has been around for decades in this unit, so it's an efficient combustion turbine. But the reason, one of the main reasons we picked it is because there's thousands of these units installed um, throughout the, the world. And so uh, reliability was a key issue. We want to make sure that if a unit's called on within MISO, that it actually gets started and, and operates and provides power. Um, so that's the reason, uh, one of the main reasons we picked this unit, plus the sister unit to it is the same exact turbine. So we tried to get uh, those efficiencies in installing both units so that our operators understand how to work on it. Um, so, you know, there's a variety of reasons. Cost, obviously, is a big one on why we installed that unit. But we ran into some, some issues during startup and commissioning um, that we're currently working through, and we're hoping to have that the unit back online in the near future. Well, I'm sure it's in good hands. <laughs> well, yours, we sure of course. Yeah. We, we, we sure try. I've got a lot of help, a lot of good people in MDU. Uh, where do you see this conference? Because as a committee member, and I'm going to ask all the committee members this throughout the day, but um, as a committee member, where do you see this conference, where it's come from, where it is now, and where is it going in the future? Because there's so much technology, yeah. so much innovation out there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely morphed. It's changed. I mean, initially, it was mostly the local coal facilities sending their, their operators, maintenance guys, management to the conference. Um, you know, as the industry has changed and generation has changed and the number of power plants that are operating um, in North Dakota has changed, uh, you know, so does the, the uh, conference have to change. So we're trying to, to get additional folks that also support distribution, transmission, um, you know, more of the renewables, um, just trying to include or broaden the uh, the conference in general to get more individuals here and, and, and individuals that can take something from the conference. Well, Matthew, thank you very much for putting this conference on uh, right here in Bismarck. Of course, uh, a huge piece to our energy portfolio in North Dakota. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Uh, Matthew Lund with MDU. He's also a committee member for EPIC, the Energy Progress and Innovation Conference. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk with Isaac Orr. Uh, friend of the program, uh, when we come back, this is Talk of the Town broadcasting on a Wattage Wednesday from the Bismarck Events Center and Epic on Super Talk 1270. 
program schedule, updated local news, sports, contests, and more. Visit today at supertalk1270.com. Welcome back to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. You're tuned to Talk of the Town on Superdoc 1270. I'm Steve Bakken. Uh, joining us on the program, broadcasting from EPIC, the Energy Progress and Innovation Conference on Superdoc 1270 on a wattage Wednesday. And uh, Isaac Orr, friend of the program, joining us. Uh, haven't talked for a while, Isaac. Uh, uh, nice to see you again. Uh, Isaac, of course, was the center of the American experiment. And uh, you do a lot of work in the energy sector promoting, um, I refuse to call them fossil fuels, they're traditional energy sources, um, which are viable and remain viable today. And um, there's a big push out there. We see this with the, the Biden administration and uh, from the globalist agenda. I mean, just take a pl- uh, look uh, w- what happened over at Davos. Uh, will the World Economic Forum doubling down on climate change and um, trying to, instead of having improvements in ecology, instead of having improvements in industry, just trying to remake the whole thing in somebody else's image, and that doesn't work. I mean, w- when you pull the rug out of traditional energy sources and try to go down a road that you're not ready to go down yet, people die. Um, there's ramifications for that. Um, so keep up the good fight and, and representing. Um, you know, one of the things you're working on right now I want to talk about is um, the coal industry specifically is really having to deal with a lot of EPA regulations, not today, but what's coming. Um, and you're working on a lot of modeling uh, to offset that and, and really tell the true story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and if you lost my number, I can give it back to you. Yeah. So like, I can be on the show more frequently. You just got to let me know. Uh, yeah. So what we're doing is we have been uh, modeling the impact of the Biden administration's EPA regulations for the North Dakota Transmission Authority. So we've looked at several of them. And, uh, you know, we were talking off, off air. Uh, it's a death by a thousand paper cut strategy, mm-hmm. right? So what EPA is doing is they're trying Give to... Give an instill, inch and they'll take 20 miles. Well, yeah. And they're trying to put so much uncertainty into the, the market when it comes to generating electricity that, you know, these utility companies get scared and they just say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to deal with these, like upgrading my coal facility in order to keep it going. Well, and you look at coal and I, I kind of yeah. equate coal industry as that big cruise ship or that big uh, uh, super tanker or container ship, it takes a long way to turn. So if you're going to have to navigate in a different direction, five, six, seven years to start planning that out because it is a slow-moving industry. Uh, It's not nimble like a lot of other industries are. So you have to plan ahead. And that's the brilliance and, you know, whether you want to get into the theories or not that this is Obama's third term uh, with with biden but that was the brilliance of the that agenda against traditional energy sources with the obama administration they never set the rules right so you didn't yes you didn't know how to navigate if you give industry here's the rules they'll figure out a way exactly but But if you keep changing the rules they can't and that's exactly not giving the rules yes yeah so uh, the most imminent threat, I would say, right now to the North Dakota coal industry is the mercury and air toxic standards, right? So this was a this is a continuation of an Obama-era rule 
And when the Obama administration was in office, they said, okay, well, lignite plants have a different, they're dealing with a different chemical composition of the coal, and that makes it more difficult to remove the mercury from the stack as it's coming out, right? So there was an exception for the lignite power plants. And the Biden administration is saying, we're getting rid of this uh, subcategory. Essentially, we're saying lignite plants, regardless of whether it's technologically feasible or not, need to achieve the same level of mercury emissions as a you know, bituminous coal plant, right? So, so if you're burning Powder River Basin or something along those lines, this is going to be very onerous to comply with. So, you know, we got a lot of smart people working on the problem, but what we've been doing is saying, well, if this causes a plant to shut down, and that's not, nobody said that, right? But, you know, the, the reason you run models is you run, you know, different hypothetical situations. So if you were to lose a thousand megawatts or 2200 megawatts of this lignite fired coal capacity in MISO, Mid-Continent Independent Systems Operator, what would that do for blackouts moving forward? And uh, what my colleague Mitch and I found is, OK, well, it's not going to increase the number of blackouts, but it will make them more severe. So uh, the EPA thinks that we're going to be able to run the grid on uh, wind turbine, solar panels, and battery storage, right? So this is what they said in their carbon plan. We also did some work with the transmission authority on that. So uh, we've been very active in pushing back against these these regulations based on their reliability and cost implications. Uh, but yeah, you know, wind and solar don't always work very well, right? Uh, during we a just had a cold snap. It exactly. was thirty five below, and and <laughs> they yeah. stopped moving. Yeah, and this was in Alberta too. I don't know if you saw anything what happened there, but they were very close to having blackouts in Canada. Yeah, because, well, they were having rolling brownouts. Yeah, is yep. what they were doing. Conservation that, notices. Yeah. They were importing as much power as they possibly could because it was too cold for their wind turbines to operate. So, you know, and what people don't understand yeah. is when you're importing all that power without having the peak capacity like we were just talking about with our last guest is that gets expensive to consumers absolutely absolutely so do you want to eat or you want to not freeze to death yeah i mean not great choices steve no um so yeah we're, we're basically uh you know the the state of north dakota has been very upfront about challenging these rules in court so that's essentially what we're doing is helping them establish a record and saying look if you move forward with this regulation if you finalize this regulation as it's written this is going to be the impact on reliability moving forward so uh it's really exciting stuff um on our end right and uh, this is this is the kind of stuff that you know uh, people don't think about because they think milk comes from the store and they think power comes from the outlet, right? So I grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin. That's like my favorite hokey phrase, right? Like, uh, but it's true, right? Like we've we've had we've been accustomed to having reliable electricity around the clock for so long that a lot of us take it for granted, right? I don't know if anybody really quite understood what makes the grid work. But there's been a paradigm shift, and I don't like where that paradigm is going from the agenda on the left is that their contention is we shouldn't be able to take it for granted. But, yeah, we should. That shouldn't change. 100%. We should be able to take yes. it for granted. It should be uh, Ron Popeil's, uh, what was that appliance, the set it and forget it, right? <laughs> like, uh, I don't remember the appliance. I'm just remembering the hairspray one. Yeah, it's like, exactly. uh, yeah, a little ball spot, spray it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah. He had a lot of stuff. Yeah, Billy Mays, bam. Yeah, yeah bam. Uh, wait, that was Emerald, the, the chef. Uh, but that's really not important yep. to what we're talking about. But, but it's the paradigm exactly, shift. It, yep. it, they're trying to change culture. Yep. Is what they're doing, and and you know it, it's it's funny. I when I was mayor of Bismarck, I got roped into these White House Intergovernmental Affairs Committee, and, and we, every Thursday, yep. and there was about sixty five people on these calls, and 
I think I held my tongue for about three meetings. Yeah. And because nobody on those calls had any concept of farm to market or farm to table or that energy didn't come from that switch on the wall or that food didn't come from the grocery store. And that goes back to the educational piece. And that's where the center of the American experiment really is stepping into a big void. Oh, absolutely. Uh, We're stepping up our efforts in North Dakota as well. If you want to go to AmericanExperimentND.org, you can learn about everything we're doing. And uh, I got a boogie. I'm on a panel. Isaac, uh, pleasure. And uh, I'm going to try to catch uh, one of your panels a little bit later today. But uh, we'll definitely have you on to continue this conversation uh, down the road. Sounds great. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Isaac. Isaac Orr, center of the American experiment. Uh, I'm Steve Bakken. We're broadcasting from... Epic, the Energy Progress and Innovation Conference taking place here with all the different levels of energy that we produce here in North Dakota. And workforce is one of those components that really plays into the ability to continue that quality of life that we have. Because I'm serious about that paradigm shift that's been taking place and and changing culture. Um, We should be able to just live in a world where no there is no question when you flip the switch there is power there but there's a lot of things that take place behind the scenes to try to make sure that that's the case uh workforce we're going to talk about that coming up next uh with brian ellersick of train nd on the industry side this is talk of the town i'm steve bakken on a wattage wednesday broadcasting from epic at the bismarck event center on super talk 1270 talk of the town brought to you by Big boy, just get in line. It moves fast. Dakota Pharmacy and Dakota Natural Health Center. We're here to help you stay well. Trademark Realty, Peak Automotive and Service, and Silver Ranch. Super Talk. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. You're tuned to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Bakken, uh, broadcasting from the Epic Conference, Energy Progress and Innovation Conference, uh, taking place at the Bismarck Event Center today and tomorrow. And joining us in the program, Brian Ellersick with Train ND, uh, Southwest Division. And uh, Brian, uh, you work on the industry side. So I want to talk a little bit about workforce. Uh, you know, a lot of great programs. Of course, we know CDLs are at a premium. Uh, if you. Uh, want to get your CDL and go down that road, there's a lot of opportunities out there. Yeah, definitely, Steve. Thanks for having me. Um, At Bismarck State College, we have our CDL program. We just started our third year. Last year, we put uh, 92 students through with their CDL. We have a two- and a three-week class. Uh, Two-week class is more for those uh, experienced, and then the three-week for those that are a little more green. But, yeah, we offer a 120-hour program. Um, Along with that entry-level driver training, you get your hazmat endorsement as well. So... So you mentioned uh, two versus three-week courses for those with a little experience. Is that like a going back to school opportunity or is that a – or somebody that's maybe been – let their CDL lapse or um, is it more about whether or not you're going to upgrade from a a CDL B to a CDL A or get the endorsements? Um, So – whether you're upgrading from a B to an A, you're still going to have to go through that program. It's more for those those industry guys that have driven truck before, those farmers that have been driving truck their whole life, but they need that formal training to get their Class A CDL. Um, you will get that cla- that uh, those endorsements in both programs, but with a lot of industry now having to put their um, workers through, um, they're sending their uh, employees through that two-week just to kind of get them 
in and out a little bit quicker, but they have been driving truck their whole life. Um, if you have let your license lapse, um, you are grandfathered in. You don't have to go through that formal training, but you will have to take the refresher course, and we do offer that as well. Uh, endorsements. Uh, you know, when people are thinking about CDLs, it's like, oh, I got my CDLA. But depending on what you're going to do with that CDL, there's a lot of different endorsements that need to go along with that license. Yep. So you get your uh, your hazmat endorsement, your tanker endorsement, or your doubles and triples. Um, at the college, we'll prepare you for all three of those endorsements. Um, you know, if you're going into hazmat, you're you're probably going to be driving a tanker. So uh, those kind of two go together. Um, with your doubles and triples, all that is is getting you prepared to take your endorsement test at the DMV, um, which is just that uh, written test. Yeah, and the doubles and triples more the freight side of sorts yep. with the hazmat or the tanker. You know, that great, great opportunities out in the oil field right now. Um, if they are begging for people with a CDL and those endorsements. Yep, and up at the, and they're paying great money along with it. So uh, we have sent a handful of students up to the oil patch this year, and and we've had uh, uh, great stories coming back down from them that they're doing great, and and they are very thankful to come through our program to get that training. Um, the other side of that too, uh, when you start talking about the oil patch and some of the other industry out there, uh, welding. Welding is a huge need. Yep, and we offer, um, obviously, at Bismarck State College for a degree, you could get your associates um, in welding, but if you are um, already employed through either power plant or the oil field at Train and D, we offer, uh, you know, we do a lot of uh, certifications. We have our mobile welding trailer that we are taking on the road uh, to the different power plants. Um, we have, we're going over to Great River Energy Spiritwood Station here at the end of February uh, to offer an 80-hour training to get their employees certified. Um, so we, you could either come to us. We have a, a welding shop with 18 booths, or we could take our trailer to you and, uh, and get you certified that way. So that's one of the other parts about the business side of things, too, because there's a lot of industries out there, but they're like, hey, I, I don't have the time to get my, let my employees uh, go spend some time in Bismarck that's where that opportunity for you to go to them um that really comes down to a lot of great partnerships in a lot of different industries yep yeah when we've built uh you know a lot of our partners are here at the energy conference but over the years we have worked with all the power plants uh the mines um and industry just in general then we've built those relationships and that way they could continue to, their employees could, could continue to work um and when they have time they'll pop in the booth get their certifications done and and they're not having to stay in a hotel here in bismarck we come to them and and uh and help them out that way you know the other thing too uh you're starting a new program uh, firefighting training yes so we are starting that uh, training begins um february 27th it's a non-credit uh firefighter type 2 training it'll prepare students to serve on a hand crew an engine crew or a hell attack crew uh performing uh fire suspension fuel management duties in adverse climate, fuel and terrain conditions. Um, so this is great for a full-time employed or those college students that are just looking for a summertime gig. Um, training is only $300. Um, it's a 52-hour training course. It includes 56 hours of in-person training and eight hours of online training. So we hear a lot in North Dakota because I, 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 if you're out in rural North Dakota, rural firefighters, yep. and, and a huge need there. Is this something that checks that box for rural firefighters? This is exactly something that checks that box. Um, it'll prepare you to yeah, work on that federal firefighting crew or yeah, just for your, your, um, for your uh, those rural crews as well. Yep. 
So a big need, a big void, uh, a great way with uh, BSC and Train ND uh, trying to fill that void and a workforce shortage and something that really opportunity to give back to your community because I, I know a lot of farmers, a lot of ranchers that are on the row fire just because that's how they take care of their neighbors and that's how they get back to their community. So a great opportunity there uh, to learn that aspect of it and get some pretty good training. Yep, good training and make some pretty good money while you're at it. So uh, to get those great opportunity for those young college students looking for something over the summer um, to help fill that void and to kind of get their feet wet to where they grow up and they're helping their communities out um, wherever they go. So, Brian, if somebody wants more information about uh, any of those great programs, how do they contact you? Um, you could email us at uh, bismarckstate.edu backslash trainnd, or you could give us a call at 701-224-5600. Well, thank you, Brian. Brian Ellersick, uh, Train ND uh, industry side of things, uh, working on CDL, welding, firefighting, uh, fire trading, uh, some great opportunities out there. Uh, if you're looking at... Uh, Kind of that supplemental education uh, or, or want to change career paths a little bit, maybe go down a different road or or an opportunity like with the firefighting to get back to the community. Great opportunities there. Uh, so make sure you contact uh, Train ND uh, through BSC, Bismarck State College, North Dakota's Polytechnic. A great opportunity to um, get some training, affordable education and give back have an opportunity to get back to your community or your state uh, depending on the industry you're going into um some great great speakers going on at epic we're broadcasting for the epic conference energy progress innovation conference here at the bismarck event center uh when we come back from the break uh, we're going to talk with robert bruce or bryce uh power hungry podcast uh one of the keynote speakers here this morning we'll get all the details on uh uh, his take on energy. That's coming up next. This is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Talk of the Town, weekday morning starting at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. KLXX AM, Mandan Bismarck. A Town Square media station broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. Record it. The Todd Starnes Daily Update. Weekday mornings at 1130 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 app. Welcome back to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. You're tuned to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Bach. I'm broadcasting from Epic Energy Progress and Innovation Concerts here at the Bismarck Events Center, uh, put on by BSC and uh, the Epic Committee, as well as in conjunction with Train ND and a lot of other great partners. Uh, one of the keynote speakers today, uh, joining us on the program, Robert Bryce from the Power Hungry Podcast. Robert, thanks for joining us this morning. Happy to be with you, Steve. Uh, so, we'll get on the podcasting side of a sure. little bit here in just a few minutes, but basically what you speak on, um, there's a front to traditional energy source i refuse to call them fossil fuels so right. traditional energy sources yeah and there's trying to be a paradigm shift in this climate agenda climate change is behind it um you know whether you're looking at what took place at cop 28 or uh, the world economic forum in davos it, it seems like they're doubling down on uh, the term climate change because that term continues to shift sure 
Well, it's interesting you talk about traditional energy. I, I call coal oil and natural gas hydrocarbons, right? I don't. I think that's a better term. It's right. a more 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 accurate term. Carbon, for, the for, building for block of life. Yep. Hydro, hydrocarbons. Um, but yes, a lot of my work um, is focused on these claims about the energy transition, and that was the caption for my talk today. The energy transition. What energy transition? And the reality is that for all of the talk about this, and there is an enormously uh, expensive and uh, ongoing campaign that the Biden administration is part of, and I say that as not as a partisan, as someone as an observer, it's very clear there's been a very prolonged, uh, very pointed and um, uh, expensive effort to promote the idea that we're in the midst of an energy uh, transition, and the reality is the numbers don't show it. So when you look at the numbers, the real numbers, yeah. not the numbers proposed, uh, proposed uh, by mainstream media, by um, agendas, because I, I have this big problem when when political agendas get politicized, it, it, it's dangerous. It, bad things happen uh, when agendas get politicized. Uh, that's what we're going through right now is we have an agenda and where's it coming from? It, right. The question I've got is we, we've got the politics engaged now but the agenda itself and, and if you want to get into the conspiracy theory about globalists and global agendas but yeah, where is I, it I, really I, yeah, coming I, I, from i don't want to get into that because no. I, that's a lot of presumption it, there my, is but my, where is my, it really coming is, from it's about the money follow the money follow let's, the money let's, let's get down let's be serious right about okay well what's driving this agenda power control and money right but let's start with the money because that's the easiest to explain <clears throat> so I presented this morning, and I'm presenting again tomorrow here at the Epic Conference. Um, just look at the amount of subsidies, federal subsidies for solar versus nuclear. I'm adamantly pro-nuclear. For serious about climate change, serious about reducing nuclear. CO2, yep. we have to be serious Absolutely. about nuclear. And I would say that regardless of what you think about climate change, if only because we need more power all around the world, more electricity. But the subsidies that are now going to solar are 300 times greater on a per unit of energy basis than are going to nuclear. Well, and we just saw this through wind. Yeah. Solar's the next one. Right. So what's the next and, and one the, after and that? And the subsidies for wind are more than 100 times those given to hydrocarbons. So, or about 70 times more than hydrocarbons. Uh, the, the, the wind subsidies are about 100 and, 150 times greater than those given to nuclear. So follow the money. Why are so many companies interested in building wind and solar? Well, the hello. The goal line keeps It's moving. because that's where they can get this, the tax credits, tax subsidies to build them. And that's what we're, we're seeing. We're seeing that with CO2 sequestration right, right We're now. saying it with the same thing under the Inflation Reduction Act, whether it's hydrogen, CCS, whether it's, you know, electric vehicles, all of this, I call it alt energy, right? Alternative energy. Um, all of it is queuing up for to grab as much federal money, as much uh, taxpayer money as they can. And it's not just in the power sector, ExxonMobil, a lot of big companies are doing this as well. So, you know, we could speculate about all these other things, but the reality is that it comes down to the money. And and uh, uh, since we're talking about my project today and, uh, you know, my speaking today, I want to give a plug to my upcoming docuseries. It'll be out a week from today. It's called Juice, Power Politics, and the Grid. We'll be out. Uh, we'll publish it for free on YouTube beginning a week from today. And I'm really proud of it. Uh, five parts. It's going to be free on YouTube. Look at juicetheseries.com. Um, each episode's about 20 minutes. But we were, are focusing on the fragilization of the grid and the, this massive investment in weather-dependent renewables. This is malinvestment. And if we're serious about stabilizing the grid, affordable, reliable electricity, we need to get serious about nuclear power. The narrative keeps changing, so they keep changing the goal line, and the narrative is what keeps changing. I remember having some conversations probably 15 years ago uh, 
where there was some legitimate discussion on how you stabilize the grid and, mm. and some of that smart grid technology and, and and it just stopped it stopped because the money wasn't there it, again following the money um you know i go back 15 years and start taking a look when there was some there was a lot of movement in hybrid vehicles yeah and then the government subsidized that out of the way because there was more money in the non-traditional energy sources, the solar, the the electric, the wind. Um, they didn't want to go down that road because it didn't fit the narrative. It didn't fit the agenda. When you're looking at the energy portfolio, the energy perspective, how dangerous is it to get pigeonholed into a narrative instead of doing what's tried true and works and making that more efficient well it's interesting you talk about that because as you're as you're talking about that steve what comes to mind is the 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 enormous divide between urban america and rural america so we're in north dakota and one of the points i made today north dakota has the fewest number of electric vehicles of any state in america it also has the fewest EVs per capita of any state in America. Well, we just had a cold snap. It was 30, 35 below. Right. We just so, saw what happened on the East Coast. Right. They didn't work. Right. Exactly. So why, you know, why would North Dakotans be interested in electric vehicles? They're not because it doesn't make any sense here. Meanwhile, in California, there's something like 25 times more EVs per, per capita in California. Nationwide, there's nine times more EVs per capita. So this... What I see, and I, I take your point about the narrative, but what I see is, is this kind of creeping corporatism. And I say that with no pleasure, but I think that's what it is, that we're seeing a lot of big-moneyed interests, and their interests aren't in rural America. Their interests are in, in rural America is only in building high-voltage transmission, building more wind and solar projects. And I've documented the backlash against wind and solar projects all across America, including here in Minnesota, or I'm sorry, here in North Dakota. In Billings County in 2016, the rejection of a wind project near Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Right, so there, there is a very clear clash in the, in the culture in America, but I think it's urban-rural. It's corporate versus you know, small landowners. It's, uh, it's left versus right, Republican versus Democrat, but it's also a class issue. So you're based down in Texas, so That's you right. have a lot of the similar energy portfolios that North Dakota has. Uh, right. There's a lot of synergy between, Yeah, I, I, I look at West Texas and the Permian and Western North Dakota and the Bakken, and yeah. a lot of similarities. I mean, same cloth. We, same have so, we have solar, yeah. you don't. Yeah, uh, but when you're looking at that disconnect between rural and urban, does that come back to an educational piece? Because I take a look, and I, I have... I, had these conversations with the urban side versus the rural side and there's a disconnect where does my food come from where does my energy come from there's a big disconnect on the urban side and i put that back to education how important is the educational piece where people aren't being told what the actual mechanism that they're surviving I don't know. From. I don't know if it's education, Steve, or it's tribalism and and political the political divide, right? Because let's look at it from a land use or geographic perspective. Where do the Republicans get their votes? Trump won something like twenty five hundred counties in twenty twenty, mm-hmm. um, and Biden won about five hundred, right? The Democrats focus their efforts on the cities, right? That's one reason why they want to abolish the uh, – many of them want to abolish the Electoral College. Right? They don't want to have to deal with having to campaign in small states in New Hampshire, North Dakota, wherever else, right? 
they want to concentrate all their efforts in the cities. That's where they get their votes. That's where they get their money. So, yes, I think education is part of it. But a lot of this, I would say, is tribalism around their political identification. And I mentioned EVs before. I, uh, Cal Berkeley study came out just a few months ago. I, I wrote about it and I, I testified before the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee or sent written testimony January 11th. About half of all the electric vehicles in America go to a handful of heavily Democratic counties in America. I mean, so there is a very much a tribalism and a political divide that also is a geographic divide in America that 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 matches the issues that we're talking about here. Uh, we're talking with uh, Robert Bryce, Power Hungry Podcast. Uh, if you got time, I'd love to hold you over the sure, break. Sure, of course. A uh, lot to divulge here and a lot to unpack. And I, when we come back from the break, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the one-size-fits-all. North Dakota never fits under the blanket with one-size-fits-all, but that's what they're trying to cum to from a national perspective. I want to talk about that when we come back. Uh, this is Talk of the Town on Superdoc 1270. I'm Steve Bakken broadcasting for the Epic Conference, Energy Progress and Innovation Conference here at the Bismarck Event Center. Uh, Two-day conference. Uh, if you want to check out online and find out some of the keynote speakers, some of the uh, different uh, classroom work that you you can take a look at a lot of opportunity here, and you can sign up for a one-day conference as well. This is Talk of the Town on the Wattage Wednesday. I'm Steve Bakken on Super Talk 1270. Talk of the Town, brought to you by Big Boy. Just get in line. It moves fast. Dakota Pharmacy and Dakota Natural Health Center. We're here to help you stay well. Trademark Realty, Peak Automotive and Service, and Silver Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Talk of the town on Super Talk 1270. You're to talk of the town on Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Bakken, broadcasting from Epic uh, Energy Progress Innovation Conference here at the Bismarck Event Center. Uh, Robert Bryce joining us with the Power Hungry Podcast. Uh, Robert, we were talking about going into the break, and, and one of the things in North Dakota, we were talking about different uh, aspects of energy and energy policy and, and um a paradigm shift that's trying to be pushed again follow the money um we're talking about electric vehicles and sure. what takes place in california or on the coast versus rural america north dakota you don't see a lot of them um but they're trying to be pushed um one thing north dakota's never fallen under well it, 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 at all is one size fits all anything when sure. you've got federal policy and i can even extrapolate that out from a state level onto other political subdivisions and just doesn't work in north dakota that one size fits all throwing a blanket over the entire country that discrepancy between urban and rural and the coasts and the heartland it doesn't work yeah well, and it's something I see. I'm, I'm privileged in my career, Steve. I, you know, I do a lot of public speaking. I did 40-some engagements last year. So I spent a lot of time in rural America. I was in Kearney, Nebraska. In fact, I, we were talking about it just a minute ago. I was in Kearney, Nebraska, speaking to the Nebraska per, uh, Public Power D Association on the same day that the COP28 meeting started in Dubai. And I told them as I got up there, I said, is it possible to get any further away from COP28 than here in Kearney, Nebraska, right? It's it's and that's a, a good thing. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I suppose geographically you could find a place on Earth that's further away, right? But in terms of a cultural, political standpoint, this divide, I think, is only growing wider. And 
it's about politics, it's about family, it's about culture, it's about church going, it's about Republican versus Democrat, but it really manifests itself when it comes to energy and energy policy. And it also comes down to land use around, we were talking about pipelines, CO2 pipelines, oil and gas pipelines, high voltage transmission, wind and solar projects. All of these things, energy policy is is uh, determined by land use policy and vice versa. So this is clearly playing out here in North Dakota in a, in a big way. You know, the solar side of stuff, too, and, and you know, not very practical here. I, I, I view solar as, okay, one-offs if you're going to help augment power with a building or a facility. Right. And you can do rooftop stuff, great. But you see these massive fields, and unless you're in the desert, they really don't, well, they don't pencil out anyway, but they don't make a lot of sense from a practical for putting these solar fields out. Yeah. Um, I drive down to Minneapolis uh, quite often for work, and... I drive by these big solar fields. Well, in the winter, right, covered in snow, exactly. not doing a damn thing. And I uh, have but, solar but, panels, but, and I have solar panels on the roof of my house in Austin. Yeah. And, and why they, did they I, make sense? Yeah, and why did I do it? I got three different subsidies. Yeah, right? so so I'm opposed to all subsidies unless I'm getting them. Right, you know, so it's that's the way it works, right? But um, but I think this is some of the things I'll just make another plug for my docu series, JuiceTheSeries.com. It'll my uh, docu series will be out a week from today. Uh, Juice, power, politics, and the grid. But we talk about this. We talk about the amount of subsidies that are going to wind and solar and how much money is in it. And we also talk about the fact that these are reducing the reliability of the electric grid. And this is a very serious issue here for North Dakota because of the war on coal. And it is very clearly a war on coal. And that is being funded. Not It's not just the federal government that is trying to reduce coal-fired generation. Michael Bloomberg in September gave $500 million to the Beyond Carbon campaign. And now we see Sierra Club suing Basin Electric try and prevent them from using coal this is a very serious issue and it's not just government that is doing this it's uh these climate focused ngos and they're being backed by some of the richest people in the world so we have to be very clear about not just following the money on terms of the subsidies but following the money on the from the anti-industry side the anti-industry industry which is very powerful how complicit is uh, other industries though because i take a look at uh, oil and gas of course sure. we've got we're blessed with a, a great deal of oil and gas here in North Dakota uh, with the Bach and Shale play. And many of us uh, around the industries have, have said, you know, you need to pay attention to what's going on at coal because you're next. And the industry, the oil and gas industry, has been a little complicit in the fact that they're like, no, wait a minute, they're picking on coal, so they're leaving us alone. Right. But you're next. It, it, it's that death by a thousand paper cuts is basically what it is and you're next when they're done with coal you're next yeah i think that i i take your point i'll counter with just this one thought which is yes there's no doubt that this administration and i'm not a republican i'm not a democrat i'm disgusted this administration is the most anti-hydrocarbon administration in american history and yet what do we see it's incredible. Resilience, oil and gas production in the United States is the highest it's ever been. We're at over 13 million barrels a day of oil production in America. It's the most oil ever produced by any country ever in history. So I, I take your points, but I'll counter it by just reminding people that for all of this opposition, for all of this friction, this is an incredibly resourceful industry that it continues to so. make these massive, techno, uh, s- uh, rather small incremental technological improvements 
that are adding up to enormous in, in increases in production. And and who wins here? It's the consumer. So natural gas at $2.50, something like that. Gasoline today, you know, $2.60 a gallon. And still incredibly cheap. And, you know, this one thought, I'll maybe, you know, we finish with this, but it's just for all the challenges facing the United States, I'm still incredibly bullish on this country. We still have enormous advantages over the rest of the world when it comes to geography, demographics, and in particular energy and energy availability. But they're under attack. Oh, there's no doubt. I, mean, I will grant that. There is no doubt. But remarkable, despite all this friction, that the industry is still doing remarkably well. The challenge now, that be, let me be clear, is for the you know the coal industry in North Dakota to fight back and say, no, this is absolutely essential for our reliability of affordability resilience. They have to fight back. And, and that, is in, that is an incredibly difficult challenge because the other side, the anti-industry industry, has so much money and so much sympathy in the media. So where we're at right now from the amount of production and yeah. so incredibly blessed, and, and you're right, the industry has been incredibly resourceful. Would you deem us as energy independent, though, despite no. those numbers? No. No. And and I've written a whole book. I published it in 2008 on the myth of energy independence. Right. Uh, called Gusher of Lies, The Dangerous Delusions of Energy Independence. Great book, by the way. If you have not read it, I, I strongly suggest reading it. Great book. Uh, read them all. All six of them. <laughs> you, know, you, don't have, you don't have to read them. You just have to buy them, Steve. That's it. So, um but we're not independent. We're not energy independent. We export, we import. We Is live that attainable? In a, we live in an interdependent world. It has to be. It has to be. Well, and one of the reasons why, okay, so we sell now, the U.S. is a major supplier of LNG into Europe, and lucky for Europe that we have the gas to export to them. So are they dependent on us or are we dependent on them, right? We're interdependent. And that symbiotic relationship. Yes, yeah, symbiotic relationship. But I agree that this incredible surge of production because of shale gas and shale oil incredibly positive for us in terms of overall geopolitics that were not as beholden to opec the persian gulf the iranians the russians etc and now with the russia ukraine war that the us can help fill the gap in europe for natural gas that they're going to need for a long time to come robert bryce power hungry podcast if somebody wants to follow the podcast where do they go uh you can go to powerhungrypodcast.com uh also check out my new docuseries juicetheseries.com and that'll be on youtube it'll be on youtube uh beginning january 31st but you can check out the website now Looking forward to it, uh, Robert. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks a million, Steve. Uh, this is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Bakken on a wattage Wednesday, broadcasting from Epic, the Energy Progress Innovation Conference at the Bismarck Event Center on Super Talk 1270. Your destined news and ideas. RM World Travel. Sunday morning, starting at 5 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. Talk of the town on Super Talk 1270. From Epic Energy Progress Innovation Conference, joining us uh, on the program right now, Troy Carlberg, the 2024 chair. He's with Minkota Power. Uh, safety and security are your focuses uh, when you're not here at Epic uh, with Minkota. So you work on a, a lot of different spaces. Um, you know, safety, of course, anywhere in the energy industry, that's 
first and foremost at the forefront uh, safety, safety first uh, with any of our energy industries. Um, the security side is uh, something that's really changed over the last five years, and hopefully we'll have a couple seconds to talk about that as well. But I want to talk about Epic. And um, Epic went through a metamorphosis uh, several years ago, a new name, uh, a new focus. Um, it's come a long way, and it's really become the go-to in the energy sectors here in North Dakota. And we've got uh, a fingerprint in everything. Um, but that's really been the focus of Epic moving forward. Um, you know, where do you see Epic from... Um, yesterday to today to going towards tomorrow with what's going on in the energy sector. Yeah, and I can say the original EPIC started back in 1978, so this conference has been around a lot of years, and this is our 45th um, conference. And with that, um, yeah, we in 2020, as a committee members, we voted to change our name from the Energy Generation Conference to the Energy Progress Innovation Conference. And the reason we did that was to diversify a little more on our energy needs in our region, um, to expand out to wind and potentially solar. But predominantly, Energy Generation Conference years ago was pretty much power plant, coal-based. Um, now we're expanding that out to... More the industry side of stuff and, and some and of the technical oil. stuff. But yeah. with the diversity in, in the energy sector, especially in North Dakota, the innovation side is huge. It is. And this conference is a great reason why we keep this going is to have breakout sessions. It allows our workers to come to um, these sessions for the conference and get educated on the newest and latest trends and in innovation in the energy industry. And it allows them to come back to our plants and, and industries and, and share that information. One of the biggest things I've seen um, is the change in not only who's here, who's learning, because this is a learning conference, first and foremost, um, but the vendors and the the workforce side. There's so many different aspects that Epic is now able to grow into that it was more of an industry, kind of a one big breakout session, one working session uh, for what's going on within the industry, but it's gotten to so many different other areas. Uh, you take a look at uh, the different industries, you know, whether, you know, we were talking to MDU earlier, um, Mincota, uh, which is here, Mincota Power, um, a lot of other places that you could be, but this is important. It is. It is important to, um, you know, to have our vendors here, right? We have over 210 vendors here this year. And probably everything from hose hangers to turbine and engineering booths. And so it allows uh, those vendors to talk to our people, our procurement departments, and hopefully secure some work, um, you know, in our fields. So a lot of this comes back to relationships, uh, whether you're a, a big company like Minkota Power or you're a smaller company or you're in the industry, a little something for everybody. And that's been a lot of the focus and where things need to be rather than where they have been in the past. Because we have, we're in a place right now from an energy perspective that is changing so fast. And we could just see from a, a grid security perspective and a cyber security perspective and some of the safety security perspectives within the industry. Um, talk a little bit about your role on the safety and uh, security side of stuff. 
what have you had to deal with over the last five, six, seven, eight, nine years? Things have changed a lot. They have. Uh, the days of just having open gates at the power plants um, are probably a thing of the past, right? So, you know, they're now more um, physical security, you know, at the gates instead of just kind of an open door policy like that. Have to be approved to come in, things like that. Um, also on our substations, we've noticed around the regions where there's been, um, you know, uh, damage and, and intentional acts of um, terrorism to substations. So it's even securing our substations and adding more physical security um, to those areas such as patrols and cameras and stuff like that too. Cybersecurity obviously is probably the key uh, top thing right now. It's, it's, it's well, we hear a lot about that in, in terms of grid security as well because all the pieces that make up our electric grid, our power grid, um, one little place that's vulnerable and the whole thing can come down. So there's a lot of onus put on the cybersecurity side of things because one bad actor if the grid goes down, we're in trouble. Absolutely. Uh, we, um, all of our power is generated, and, and um, our industry up here runs through MISO, right? Our MISO market it makes up of our uh, grid stability in our area. So any excess power, we sell our um, Minn Kota's power to mostly the eastern part of North Dakota and western Minnesota to 11-row co-ops. And, and along the way, we have power lines running from center to Grand Forks and a lot of substations and things in between that we gotta got to consider for physical security and cyber security. Um, like I said, it can take just one bad actor to take, take a piece of that grid down. How lucky are we to have the, the co-op system that we have? Because Minkota Power works with a lot of co-ops, like you mentioned. Um, you know, that's a little nuance uh, to North Dakota. And having that extra layer of local control and local, local, local uh, within the power system, big benefit to, to rural states like North Dakota and, and western Minnesota. Absolutely. Um, our co-ops is what basically keeps keeps our industry running um, from Minkota's perspective. And, um, yeah, are, are, uh, working with our co-ops, if, if they have lines that go down, our, our linemen are right there to back that support system. And support, yes. Uh, Troy, another great conference. Uh, thanks for being chair. Um, you know, what's your term? What's my term? Um, as of tomorrow at about 3.30. <laughs> uh, great conference. Great uh, yeah, thanks for putting on another great show. Uh, Epic, uh, the Energy Progress Innovation Conference here at the Bismarck Event Center. A lot of great pieces, a lot of great relationships, a lot of, to learn, a lot of great vendors. If you want to sign up for a one-day conference, of course, it's two days. Uh, you can sign up for just tomorrow. You can get in on the rest of the day. A lot of opportunities, a lot to learn here. Uh, Troy, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, Troy Carlberg, 2024 chair. Uh, he's with Minn Kota Power, Safety and uh, Security. Uh, epic conference taking place at the Bismarck Event Center. We're going to talk to uh, one of the vendors when we come back and get the vendor take on Epic. Uh, this is Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. Talk of the Town, brought to you by Big Boy. Just get in line. It moves fast. Dakota Pharmacy and Dakota Natural Health Center. We're here to help you stay well. Trademark Realty, Peak Automotive and Service, and Silver Ranch. Super Talk. Welcome back to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. 
You're tuned to Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. I'm Steve Bakken, uh, broadcasting from Epic Energy Progress and Innovation Conference. And uh, while we're here at the Bismarck Event Center broadcasting from Epic, uh, one of the big things that has really expanded, uh, a lot of different vendors are here. And I wanted to grab one of the vendors uh, just for a few minutes to get a vendor's perspective of Epic. And uh, John Tonneson joining us. Uh, he's the Director of Power and Industry with Torxil. Um Give us a little insight uh, what your side of the industry works on. What, what's the mission? What does Torxil do, for those that aren't familiar? Yeah, so Torxil is a steel, steel foundation company, uh, big steel screws. And we, we design, manufacture, and install these screws all over the U.S. for all sorts of different projects, including electrical substations, transmission lines, oil and gas refineries, gas plants. Um, you name it, you know, we're, we're doing it. We even do some seawall applications down in the Gulf or buoyancy control uh, for pipelines down in the Gulf of Mexico. So where do you see a lot of growth? Is it on the renewable side? Is there traditional? Is there electric? Is there, you know, because in your industry, you work in a lot of different spaces. Where, where's the growth? Well, I'll just give you some perspective. So last year, um, our oil and gas division, which we thought was going to start to taper off, had the biggest year it's everything. Our power division, which includes some renewables, um, tapered off by about half. So we did approximately $100 million in revenue for the whole company, and only uh, 20 of that came from power and renewables. This year, we're expecting to be that it's, it's it'll be bigger than last year, but we don't see the acceleration rate with renewables like we, we once did. That's all, as you know, it, that's all based on tax incentives. So the solar and wind guys, it's purely tax-driven, um, whatever incentives they can get there. Well, and some of the, uh, you know, not some, all of the carbon sequestration projects that are all out there right now, those are all tax, you know, Q45 credits, you know, $85 a ton. And, and um, are you seeing any work in that space, or, or are those projects just we're playing the numbers right now? We're seeing a lot of people um, try to develop a cost to go out and get funding so we we bid a lot of projects. We're doing a lot of free engineering to tell somebody how much something. Kind of a contingency if the project goes forward. Right. Yeah. So we've we've worked with Summit Carbon Capture. We've worked with a few of the other ones that have actually now they're now defunct um, to develop some plans. Um, we do think and we hope that there will be some carbon capture projects along with hydrogen. We think those two areas, if we can keep coal and natural gas on burning. Um, you know, carbon capture and hydrogen are going to play a big role in that. So, so a lot of growth in those spaces. We think so. Uh, yeah. So coming back to Epic Energy Progress Innovation Conference, because uh, you know when they changed the name back in 2020 and, and really got into uh, the innovation side of stuff, that mm-hmm. that was the biggest growth piece. Uh, opened the door for a lot of vendors. So as a vendor, um, what are some of the advantages you see of being at a conference like this? Well, North Dakota is so unique because we're and all of the all of the above energy policy, you know, we'll do solar, wind, uh, coal, natural gas, you name it, doesn't matter. We're we're going to be energy agnostic. Whatever's going to make us money, whatever we're going to do to produce that power. And these guys here have a very open mind. All these different technologies, um, and you've got access to everybody at a from a high level all the way down to the the guy turning the valves in the in the plant. And that that's what this conference is great for. You get to re- really meet and and talk to everybody and and everybody comes and listens and and wants to know exactly what you do and how you can maybe help them out so it's a great great conference so 
relationships, and, and that's what North Dakota's really worked on. Uh, you see a lot of that in the industry uh, from an educational perspective, uh, from the vendors being able to get out there in front of companies, uh, you know, the innovation side. You know, how easy is it to, to go sit down and visit with a, a CEO or a VP of a company that is doing some work in different spaces as a vendor company? pretty open right yeah extremely the, the thing that they used to say about north dakota is you could walk into the governor's office and have a meeting as a citizen i feel like it, it's the same way here it doesn't take hardly much to really get in front of the ceo of basin electric if people want more information about torque seal how do they get the, uh get that information our website uh www.torxhill.com it's t-o-r-c-s-i-l-l.com John Tonneson, thanks for joining us. Uh, broadcasting from Epic Energy Progress and Innovation Conference. I'm Steve Bach, and this is Talk of the Town on a Wattage Wednesday on Super Talk 1270. Talk of the Town on Super Talk 1270. KLXX AM, Mandan Bismarck. A Town Square media station broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union 